At this time, we're going to continue on with the series that we were in um, with Jimmy Evans from, Great, uh, from um, uh, Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas via video. Uh, this is called Time at a Tipping Point, and we realize that we truly, really are at the cusp of eternity, and um, any of us individually, we just don't have any guarantees of tomorrow. So therefore, this is a very pertinent topic culturally personally, socially, biblically, um, Jimmy speaks truth. And uh, so we're going to listen to him talk to us this morning about time at a tipping point. Amen. Here we go with Jimmy Evans. If you have your Bibles there, you can turn to Second Peter in the New Testament chapter 3. I hope that you guys have gotten something out of this series on the end times, the tipping point, and that it encourages you. I love, I love bringing this message. I especially love bringing it here because you guys are family. But I love bringing this message because it, I, th I think it's encouraging to know the times that we're living in and to know that God is in control and Jesus is coming. And you've heard me say that in this series, but let me just tell you, God is in control and Jesus is coming. And that's the purpose of this series. Let me, let me say this. So, someone asked this week, and it was a young man, and he said, at my place of, of, of work, they uh, have a 401k that they're asking me to contribute to. And he, he said, what should I do? You know, kind of in light of the fact that Jesus is coming. Let me, let me say, so, let me say, let me answer it very clearly. And, and this is something that will never let you down. Plan as though Jesus is not returning for a hundred years and live as though Jesus is returning today. Okay. So plan your life, go to school, you know, have children, get married. I mean, have married, get children, that order. And uh, <laughs> the order is important. But live your life, you know, just in, uh, like I said, plan your life as though Jesus is not coming for a hundred years, but be ready for Jesus when he comes. And that's the purpose of this series. I want to say you have a pastor, Pastor Robert, who loves you very much. And when he uh, asked me to preach, I was praying about what to preach on and um, I, this is what I believe the Lord told me to preach on. And I, I told Pastor Robert, I called him and told him, you know, what I believe the Lord was saying. And he said, I want our people to be equipped to understand these times and to live in these times. So you have a pastor who loves you very much. And that's why I'm bringing these messages is just to help you to understand the times that we're living in. Because these are, these are very unusual times. And without understanding the times, we can become afraid, confused, and ill-prepared. So this, this message is called Time at a Tipping Point. And I want to say this is the fourth message in this series. I will not be back with you again next weekend. But I will finish this series this Wednesday evening in the equipping course class. I'll be here at 7 o'clock in the South Lake campus. Uh, I'll be here teaching... One more installment at Tipping Point, and that will finish the series. So I hope you can come and bring a friend with you. We're going to have a great time on Wednesday night. Now, to say that we are at the end times or that we are at the end of the age is to say that we're almost uh, out of time, that time is running out. And the question is, why? Why now? Why us? Why are we the generation at the end? And let me give you the very clear answer to that. Because from the very beginning of creation, God determined how much time there would be allotted for human history, and we are there. It isn't arbitrary. It's not because of what man has done, and it isn't because we're better or worse than any generation that has gone before us. God has a master calendar, and God has a master clock, and we just happen to be the people alive when the time runs out. Now, this is Second Peter chapter 3, where I ask you to turn there. 
And so this is the Apostle Peter talking about the end times and some very specific prophecies concerning the end times. Let's read it beginning in verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and of the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heaven and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord... One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the Apostle Peter is reminding his readers here, or his listeners, to remember the words of the Old Testament prophets. Okay? Then he goes into a very specific prophecy that when the end times come, that there will be mockers scoffing about the end times. In other words, when they hear teachings like this, when they hear teachings about the end times, they will scoff according to their own lust. In other words, these are not godly people. These are immoral people. And they mock saying nothing has ever changed. Everything is as, as it was since the beginning. And Peter then says, and of course, that's been fulfilled. We, we know that that's true. And Peter then says they willfully reject the authority of the word of God and the warnings concerning their judgment. Listen, they willfully reject it. They have made the decision that they will not listen to the word of God. They have willfully rejected the authority of the word of God as the people of Noah's day did and were flooded, so he says, and this world is being preserved for fire and they're going to be judged one day. That's what Peter is saying. And then he kind of throws a curve at everybody. Now, there's not a curve to them because they understood what I'm about to say. But Peter then says, now you understand this one thing. Remember this one thing. He's talking about the end times and scoffers that reject the end times teaching and reject the authority of the word of God. Okay? And Peter says, but beloved, remember this one thing, that with the Lord a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. Now, this is a very important thing that he's talking about. And so God, listen, regarding time, God sees a day as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. This is Psalm 90, verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passed and like a watch in the night. So related to the end times, because remember the context here is the end times and what Peter is saying is God is not slack. God, God is not uh, waiting arbitrarily to come back. God has a plan, and that plan regards a day as is a thousand years and a th thousand years is a day. Well, let me say this. God has a calendar. And God has been on that calendar since the beginning of time, and he's still on that calendar. And this is what we're talking about. This is what Peter was talking about, and they understood this. The Jewish mind, this is what the Jews believed. This is what the early church believed. This is what Orthodox rabbis and Hebrew scholars have taught for thousands of years. What I'm teaching you right now, it's not a new teaching. 
So what is God's calendar? And that's, that's the question. Isaiah 46, 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am, it says, uh, I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel will stand and I will do all of my pleasure. Okay, so understand this. What the Jewish rabbis teach is that God revealed the end in Genesis 1. God revealed his calendar that he counts time on in Genesis chapter 1. Let me say something very important. God does nothing until he reveals it first. The word occult means secret. Our God is not a secret keeper. God wants us to live in the light. And the reason for Bible prophecy is so that we will be prepared for everything that happens. Amos 3, 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. So Moses was the prophet of God, and Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, okay, Genesis 1, so that we would understand what's happening and that we would not be living in darkness or be confused or fearful. Now, before we get into God's 7,000-year plan for human history, let me read you one New Testament scripture that's very important. This is 1 Thessalonians. Every chapter in the book of 1 Thessalonians talks about the return of Christ. And this is very specific now in chapter 5 concerning the return of Christ. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you, for you yourselves perfectly know that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes on them as labor pangs upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overcome you as a thief. You are sons of light, and sons of the day, we are not of the night or of darkness. Did you know that every time the Bible says that Jesus comes as a thief in the night, it's talking to unbelievers, not believers? Jesus doesn't come as a thief in the night to us. Listen, you, yourself, you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Then he says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. God has given us Bible prophecy so that we'll be prepared when he comes. He doesn't come as a thief in the night to us. We don't know the exact day or hour when he's coming, but we know the seasons. We know the signs of the time. And here's the importance. When Jesus comes, we'll have our heads lifted up and be ready for our bridegroom. That's the importance of that. And people say, you don't know when Jesus is coming. You're exactly right. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know the season. And we know the signs. Let me talk about God's 7,000-year prophetic calendar. Okay, there are seven days of creation in Genesis 1. Remember, Peter is talking about the end times in 2 Peter 3. And he says, remember this one thing, brethren, that with the Lord a day is a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years is a day. And Isaiah 46 says, God declares the end from the beginning. At the very beginning, he's talking about the end. Well, let me say this. God counts time in sevens. Okay? God always counts times in sevens. Seven days of creation in Genesis chapter 1. There were seven sabbatical years and still are in Israel's calendar. Every seventh year, they were to let the land rest. And then they had seven sevens of years. And the year after that was the year of Jubilee. And the, in the book of Daniel, 490 prophetic years were declared to the nation of Israel and the angel said 77s of years are declared for you 
Israel until the very end comes. And by the way, there's only seven years of that left, the time of Jacob's sorrow, which is the tribulation. So God counts times in sevens. There's no doubt about that. And so many Jewish scholars from the thousands of years have taught that Genesis 1, the seven days of creation, corresponds to 7,000 years of human history. In the very beginning, God was saying there's going to be 7,000 years of human history. There's going to be 6,000 years of human history followed by a thousand-year millennial rule of Christ. It's over. In other words, it's not arbitrary. It's not because of anything that we've done. At the very beginning, God started his clock, and we just happen to be the generation that's alive at the fulfillment of that. So let's, let me prove this to you in several ways. Let me begin uh, by talking about the seven days of creation and how they prophetically parallel each millennium of human history. Listen to what I'm saying. The first day of creation parallels the first thousand years of human history and the most important spiritual event that happened in the first thousand years. The second day of creation parallels the second 1,000 years of human history and the most important spiritual event that happened in the second thousand years of human history and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh. And so every day of creation is going to parallel. It's a prophetic grid, if you will, okay? So let me begin. Let me just read these to you, and I'm going to read you what happened on each day of creation and how it parallels that millennium of human history. On the first day of creation, on the first day of the week, light was separated from darkness. And in the first millennium, Adam's sin separated him from God's light. Light and darkness were separated spiritually. So on the first day of creation, God separates the light from the darkness. What, what was the most significant event that happened in the first thousand years of human history? Adam and Eve sinned. And spiritually, light and dark were separated. On the second day, there was separation of the waters above and below. And in the second millennium, the waters above and below were used in judgment in Noah's flood and then separated again. So in other words, in the second thousand years of human history, there was a spiritual parallel between the second day of creation. God brought the waters together, flooded the earth, and separated them again, just like he did in the second day of creation. On the third day, plants yielding seed were created to fill the world with life. And in the third millennium, a promise was made to Abraham that through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. On the fourth day, the lights were created, the lights in heaven were created, and in the fourth millennium, the prophets were given as lights to Israel, and Jesus came as the light of the world. On the fifth day, living creatures were created, and in the fifth millennium, Jesus died that we might become new creatures, inheriting eternal life. On the sixth day, the millennium that we're living in now, man was created and was told to fill the earth and subdue it, and in the sixth millennium, man has filled the earth and subdued it. What God commanded Adam and Eve to do in Genesis 1, we did in the last thousand years. On the seventh day, God rested, and in the seventh millennium, the earth will be restored and mankind will rest as Jesus rules for a thousand years. And here's the proof, by the way, of that thousand-year rule of Christ. This is Revelation 20, beginning in verse 1. I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit. And shut him up and set a seal on him that he should not deceive the nations, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, 
and they sat on them. Judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and shall reign with him a thousand years. And so we know for absolute certain that the last thousand years of human history is the millennial rule of Jesus Christ. We are living pre-rapture. There's going to be the next major event that's going to happen on earth is the rapture of the church. We're going to be raptured. When we're raptured, then or soon thereafter, the world is going to experience a seven-year tribulation. But listen, as the world is experiencing a seven-year tribulation, we're going to experience a seven-year wedding in heaven to Jesus. A Jewish wedding is seven days long. We're going to be married to Jesus. And at the end of that, you can read the account of this in Revelation 20 and 21. Jesus returns, and we return with him. And he slays the Antichrist, the false prophet, throws him into the lake of fire, and he uh, binds Satan for a thousand years in the bottomless pit. And then he sets up his millennial kingdom. Listen, we rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years. For a thousand years, Jesus is boss on the earth, and he doesn't have to be reelected. Somebody say amen. amen. Okay, but listen to this. So, but listen, at the end of the thousand years, Satan is loosed. And there are mortals on the earth, not us, because we're immortal. There are mortals on the earth that survived the tribulation. And after 1,000 years of living under Christ's rule, they go to Jerusalem and try to kill him. Satan leads Gog and Magog, which is an idiom for the nations of the world in rebellion to God. And they march on Jerusalem to try to kill him. At that point in time, Jesus slays all them sets up the great white throne judgment judges all the the dead from the very beginning of time the heavens of the earth are destroyed by fire that's what peter was talking about in second peter three the heavens and earth are destroyed by fire god creates new heavens and a new earth and the new jerusalem which is a twelve thousand mile cube comes down and that's where we live with jesus forever and ever it's a it's a wonderful thing so this is this is what the bible says is going to happen in human history and it's very specific so that's one way that you can prove the 7,000-year theory of human history is by looking at the prophetic days and how they parallel what actually happened spiritually in each of the 1,000 years. But let's look at another way that we can prove it, and that is by counting the years. In other words, if, if we're in the end times and there are 6,000 years of human history followed by a 1,000-year millennial rule of Christ, we should be somewhere around the year 6,000. Okay? Well, let's look at this. In several ways, let's look at three calendars. First, let's look at our Gregorian calendar. This is the year 2015 on the Gregorian calendar. We have a solar calendar, and Israel has a lunar calendar. So it's the year 2015. Well, that's A.D. That's since Jesus. Okay, well, how many years were there before Jesus? Well, thankfully, in Luke chapter 3, there's a genealogy that goes from Jesus to Adam. We know exactly how many generations were between Jesus and Adam, and Bible scholars say there were 4,000 years in the Old Testament. So let's do some ciphering. Four plus two equals six. Okay, so if we're supposed to be around the year 6,000, according to the Gregorian calendar, we're around the year 6,000. 
give or take a few years, okay? Jewish civil calendar, okay? The Jews have two calendars, a civil calendar and a religious calendar. According to the Jewish civil calendar, this is the year 5775. Now, remember, they don't have, you know, A.D. and B.C. They, they just have from creation. So 5775, which would tell us there's 25 years left until uh, 6,000 comes. The only problem is there's a lot of disputes about that calendar. And we know historically that there were changes made to it and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of Jews dispute uh, 5775 being correct. But again, it's close to 6,000. But there's a Jewish religious calendar. The, the civil year of the Jews begins in the fall. The religious calendar begins in the spring. And there's a group. I'm going to tell you about this group, and I'm going to give you a disclaimer here in just a minute. TorahCalendar.com, T-O-R-A-H, calendar.com. These are Messianic Jews who don't believe that the Jewish civil calendar is correct. And they're very intelligent people, and they have done exhaustive research trying to find out what year is this since creation, the actual year since creation that we're living in, okay? And they believe the 7,000-year calendar of God, so they believe. So they took Scripture, history, science, and astronomy, not astrology, astronomy, and they took all of those things exhaustively and looked at what year it is. And by the way, NASA has the lunar, or has all of the activity of the moon for thousands of years. So scientifically, you can, and again, uh, the, their calendar is a lunar calendar. So they looked at the Bible, history, science, and astronomy of all that's happened. And here's what they believe. After all of their study, and this is on their website, they believe that the year 6000 ended in March of this year. They believe that we're living in the year uh, 6001, according to their religious calendar. And this is my disclaimer. They believe that Jesus is returning in September. So when you go to that website, I'm giving, I'm giving you a warning there that they, they write it down. They have the date that Jesus is going to return. Listen, I don't ever set dates for two reasons. First of all, when people set dates, people stop living their lives. Okay. The second thing that happens is when that date comes and goes, you get your... Uh, you know, get uh, disappointed and become cynical. Because I've lived to see a lot of dates set that people said, you know, Jesus is going to come on this date. Whenever someone tells me they know when Jesus is coming, I always have the same answer. I hope you're right. But I'm not going to live any differently just because you say you know when Jesus is coming. So this is a smart group of Jews that they wanted to know what the right calendar is. They did exhaustive research. You can see their research on their website. And they believe that we're living just after the end of the year 6000. And Jesus is about to return. Don't set dates. But be ready whenever Jesus comes. Okay. Here's another way that you can prove this. And these are, these are prophetic symbols in the Bible. Okay. This is Noah and his direct connection to the end according to Jesus. Okay. So this is Luke 17. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Okay, now Jesus drew a direct parallel between Noah and when he came again, okay? Well, Noah lived to be 950 years old according to Genesis 9, 29, okay? So Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, that's what it's going to be like when I come again. So Jesus draws the parallel between his coming and Noah, Now, Noah lived 950 years. So when God put Noah on the ark, he had a lot of years to choose from. 
Am I going to put him on the ark when he's 130 years old? Am I going to put him on the ark when he's 275 years old? Am I going to put him on the ark when he's 731 years old? Here's what Genesis 7, 6 says. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. Genesis 7. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the seventh, second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. And I talked last week about some of the parallels there. Out of the 950 years that God had to put Noah and his family on that ark, he put him on the ark when he was 600 years old. And there'll be 6,000 years of human history followed by a 1,000-year millennial rule of Christ. And there are people who believe that this is symbolic of the fact that Jesus is returning in the year 6,000 or around the year 6,000. Well, let's look at one more parallel. And this is Jesus at the wedding of Cana of Galilee. Now, I want to I remind you now that the Isaiah 46 says that God declares the end from the beginning. Okay, so this is the first day of Jesus' ministry. When Jesus was 13 years old, he stayed back in Jerusalem, uh, believing it was time for his ministry to begin. And his mother, Mary, you remember, frantically found him. And he said, I must be about my father's business. And she said, no, young man. And she took him home for 17 years. So Jesus just thought, you know, at 13 years old, he thought, I've got to, I've got to minister. Now he is at a wedding. Interesting, God used his mother to tell him he couldn't go into the ministry. And now God's going to use his mother to tell him his ministry is beginning. So this is the day that Jesus' ministry is beginning. And Mary is the one who tells him he's got to create wine. This is John 2. Now there were, there were set there six water pots. Remember the six, that's symbolic, of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs, this beginning of signs, Jesus did in Cain of God. Listen, there are miracles. There are wonders and there are signs. A miracle is something that God does supernaturally that only God can do. A wonder is something that makes you wonder. You go, oh, wow. That makes me wonder. <laughs> a sign points to something. This was not a miracle. This was not a wonder. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And God is declaring the end from the beginning. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifest his glory and his disciples believed him. So he's at a wedding, family wedding, with his mother, and they ran out of wine. And Mary came to Jesus and said, son, they run out of wine. He said, woman, what do I have to do with you? And, and, and then rather than ask him again, she told him. And she turned to the servants and said, do what he tells you. Okay, because I know he can make groceries. He does it for me all the time. And <laughs> that's the King Jimmy version. So... Whatever he says, do it. Okay. So Jesus said, fill up the water pots with water. And they bring the wine. And they're amazed. They say most people serve 
the good stuff at the beginning and then the cheap stuff at the end. But you've brought the best to last. Okay. Six water pots, not three, not eight, not 12, six water pots at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, what was he doing? He was at a wedding serving heaven's wine. What does Jesus do at the very end of his ministry when he comes and raptures us to be with him? He's at a wedding serving heaven's wine. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 26. I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is symbolic of when 6,000 years have been fulfilled, we will be at a wedding drinking heaven's wine with Jesus. So when I say that we're living at the end times, I'm not being capricious. I'm not just guessing. And in other messages, I've tried to show you however you look at this, whether through Israel or whether through truth and a falling away from truth or technology, and I'll have another message Wednesday night talking about another measure of the same thing. When you look at time, we're at a tipping point. The 7,000-year calendar of God has been in existence from the very beginning and that's what the orthodox jews have believed for thousands of years that's what the early church believed and when peter comes to the church and he's talking to them about the end he says you know for certain now that when the end comes they're going to be mockers mocking the end times and mocking end times teaching according to their own lust because they have willfully rejected the authority of the word of god and the warnings concerning the judgment that's coming on the world but beloved beloved you remember this one thing that with the Lord, a day is as 1,000 years, and 1,000 years is one day. God is not slow. He's, he's not delaying needlessly. But he's giving every person an opportunity for repentance. That's what Peter is. Somebody say amen. amen. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. Let me, let me say a prayer. Father, we, we come to you and we're thankful for the light of Bible prophecy. We're thankful that that day will not come upon us as a thief. We're thankful that we will not be unprepared. You have prepared your people for the days that we're living in. And God, we thank you for the light. Let us be a light to someone else. We're going to see someone at school. We're going to see someone of our neighbors, of our friends, of our family. We're going to see someone who's living in darkness. And God, let us be a light to them. Let us be a comfort to them in the times that we're living in. And Lord, we're going to plan to live our lives for the next hundred years praying that you'll come back today. But we thank you that from the very beginning you had a plan that you showed us in Genesis chapter 1. Jesus, we thank you that you had a plan that you showed us at the wedding of Canaan and Galilee. And all through your word you have been showing us exactly what is going on. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for being so wonderful to us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. I, I trust that these messages have been and continue to be an encouragement to you as we look at uh, where we're at in a time of history. And uh, we are fortunate. We are a blessed generation to be able to live in a time that truly may be the time that the Lord's coming back. And again, like I've always said, 
whether or not we are the last generation or you live until the last generation, the moment you die is your rapture time. So this is serious no matter where we're at, in all honesty. Today we want to take communion. Is our normal time of taking communion, and it fits right in with the message today in that there will come a day real soon that Jesus will be serving communion to us in heaven. And uh, as uh, Pastor Jimmy pointed out, that his first sign on earth was uh, serving heaven's wine. Um, we celebrate communion today and serving and celebrating the Lord's table. So this morning, uh, as we always do, I want to pray, and I'm going to invite you to come to forward if you want to take communion with us. You do not have to be a member of this church. All we ask for your own benefit is that you love Jesus and that you have Jesus in your heart. This is not something that we, we take this very seriously. Um, as we take the rapture very seriously, as we take eternity very seriously, we take communion very seriously, that we are to have our hearts right with the Lord. And uh, we ask that you would just examine your hearts right now and just make sure, let's pray, just make sure that your heart is right with Jesus. You can ask him right now to forgive you. You can ask him right now to cleanse your heart. You can ask him right now to, to make things right and say, Father, I'm sorry. Uh, I've made mistakes, and I'm sorry for those mistakes. And I repent, and I go backwards now to that point of entry, that small gate that leads to that narrow road, and only a few find that road, Father. But we have to go through that gate repeatedly, maybe. We have to go through that gate to stay on that narrow road. So right now, Jesus, we just ask you to forgive us of our sin. We ask you, Father, to cleanse us, purify us from within, and make us holy and righteous before you, worthy to come into your presence this morning to celebrate and enjoy the fruit of your life and your death and your resurrection. And we just come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jackie, let's sing the song that you're playing. Let's just celebrate and let's just thank the Lord one more time for his sacrifice what it means to us this morning.
Father, we thank you so much for this sacrifice, and Lord, for the promise that we have, that eternal hope that we have in our hearts and our lives, that, that Lord, is a promise. It's the promise of a hope that gives us joy in the midst of a hard life in a broken world. And God, we thank you, and we honor you, and we just say, Father, go with us today. We invite you into our hearts and lives all week long. We're not leaving you here. We're taking you with us, Holy Spirit. Ride with us. Go with us. Go to our homes. Go to our jobs. Go to our workplaces. We just invite you in our presence all week long until we come together again. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today. Love the Lord with all your heart. Amen.